You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 19. Verses 1 through 14. The angels arrive in Sodom and warn of destruction. In the previous chapter, the Lord visited Abraham and Sarah and personally gave them a message of hope. Within a year, Sarah would bear the son of promise. Then God told Abraham of his plans to destroy Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plain because of their wickedness. Abraham appeals to God in the first recorded prayer in Scripture and intercedes for any righteous people who may be among them. He is particularly concerned for his nephew Lot and his family who live in Sodom itself. After negotiating that God would not destroy the city, if a minimum of ten righteous people were found in it, they go their separate ways. The two angels arrive in Sodom uh, in the evening. They find Lot sitting in the gateway of the city. This was where the business of ancient cities was conducted. So he was now in the leadership of the city. He is called a judge in verse 9. Here we see a progression of Lot into the world and its ways. When Lot was first offered a choice of where to live, he chose this area because it was fertile. He and his family first pitched their tents near Sodom. Then, when there was a local skirmish in which the inhabitants of Sodom were kidnapped, Lot and his family were also taken, because at that point they were living in the city. And now we see he is quite involved in it. We need to be aware of these subtle moves toward worldliness. Because Lot happens to be sitting at the entrance to the city when the visitors arrive, he invites them to stay with him. He is unaware of their identity. We saw in the previous chapter that this was a common practice as there were no inns. But notice he doesn't want them to stay long. He tells them they can come and spend the night, but then go on their way early in the morning. They are not fearful, so they answer that they'll spend the night there in the town square. This was not just common courtesy on Lot's part, but an effort to protect them. We see this in verse 8 when he says he invited them in for this reason. But Lot, knowing the behavior of the inhabitants, insists strongly that they go with him to his house. When they arrive, he prepares a meal for them, which included bread made without yeast, which tells us he didn't have time to let it rise, because he didn't want them to linger. But word has spread that there are visitors in town, and they are staying at Lot's house. So all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. This shows us how pervasive the sin was and how aggressive. It is all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, and they surrounded the house. So there was no escape, humanly speaking. But these angels were never in danger, in spite of Lot's fears. The men called out to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. There can be no mistaking their intent, or language has no meaning. There is a similar incident recorded in Judges 19, which is equally clear, but this time the perpetrators are Israelites. The time of the judges was an especially low point in Israel's history, spiritually and morally. In Genesis 13.13 we are told, Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. 
although in another part of Scripture we are told some of their other sins. Ezekiel 16.49 says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Another is Jeremiah 23.14. And among the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers, so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. They are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. However, from this example in Genesis 19.5, and how the term sodomy came from their sexual sin of homosexuality, Jude tells us, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So similar to other events like the creation and the flood, we see that they are mentioned in many other places in scripture, which verify the event's historicity and shed light on the occasion itself and give us insights into their significance and what they teach us about God and ourselves. Later on in Israel's history, God will compare them to Sodom, as their sin will be even worse. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, your sister Sodom and her daughters never did what you and your daughters have done. This does not downplay the sin of Sodom, but it magnifies the wickedness of Israel in spite of their privileges and warns them because since Sodom did not escape punishment, neither would they. Their punishment would also be greater, in the sense that Sodom's punishment was fierce but over quickly. Israel's would be long and drawn out. Lamentations 4.6 says, The punishment of my people is greater than that of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment without a hand turned to help her. So this was Jeremiah prophesying the destruction of the temple, the siege of Jerusalem, and the exile of her people. The prophet Isaiah also used these cities as an example and warning to Israel. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. This shows their brazen attitude. They are proud of their sin and they parade it rather than hiding it. How like our day. Moses warns the children of Israel about the curse that will come on the land if they depart from him in the land they are about to enter. He uses this true event as an example. The whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur, nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in fierce anger. So back to the story. The depraved men of Sodom have surrounded the house. Lot steps outside and shuts the door behind him. He appeals to the men, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Then he does something shocking. He offers up his two virgin daughters to this mob. This reveals the level to which Lot has been influenced by his culture, that he would even suggest such a thing as a less deviant alternative. And this is one example where scripture records something as a true event without advancing it as a model to be followed, like Noah's drunkenness, Abraham's lie, or David's adultery and murder. It is descriptive, not prescriptive. The Bible doesn't hide human stupidity. 
This is a cautionary tale. Scripture was written for our instruction so that we will learn from them and not make the same mistakes. So if rapists come to your door, don't offer your daughters. He gives the reason for this, his desire to protect his guests. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under my, the protection of my roof. At this point, he probably doesn't know they are angels in disguise who don't need his protection. He needs theirs. How could Lot have offered up his daughters? They didn't take him up on his wicked offer, but seriously. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They aggressively advance. They insult Lot as an outsider who thinks he can tell them what they can and cannot do. He may not have made any moral judgments on them before, but now he feels he must call their sin, sin. Then they threaten him with even more violence than they had planned for his guests. They surge toward him and almost break down the door in their effort to get in. But these angels have nothing to fear, although Lot doesn't know it. Instead, they open the door, reach out and pull Lot back inside to safety and shut the door. They saved him now and, now, and would save him from a worse fate that as of yet he is unaware. Then we see some of the powers that angels are afforded. They strike the men surrounding the house with blindness. They had been spiritually blind, now they were also physically blind. But even then, they're still trying to find their way in. Lot must have been amazed and wondered at who these visitors were. But until this point, Lot still didn't know the reason they had come. But then they ask him, Do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law? sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place the outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it so now he knows the reason they have come they understand that his first concern would be for his relatives so they give him an opportunity to warn them and bring them to safety divine judgment was inevitable but his family was offered grace. We also see that God has given them the power to destroy the city on his behalf uh, as his servants. And the reason is also given, because the outcry to the Lord against its people is so great. So this is something Lot should have recognized for himself, rather than compromising and bringing his family under their influence. So Lot, concerned for his family, goes out to speak to the two men who were pledged to marry his daughters. They were referred to as sons-in-law because the covenant was made but not yet fulfilled. He says, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. So this is a clear warning and call to action. They are to do it quickly. Hurry. They are to leave. Get out of this place. The reason? The city will be destroyed. By whom? The Lord. But to an unconcerned sinner who thinks they will have a long life continuing to do as they've always done, such a statement was a good joke. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. So this shows us that Lot had lost credibility and respect through his compromise. Compare this with Noah, whose sons believed him when he told them of God's plan to destroy the earth with a flood, or Rahab, who convinced her family to stay with her during the destruction of Jericho. How often are gospel offers and warnings to flee the wrath to come 
met with a similar scoffing response in our day. Verses 15 through 26, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. As dawn approaches, the angels urge Lot to hurry. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. This was, a, was very clear, and Lot had no reason not to obey right away. Yet he lingers. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Because God was merciful to them, the angels assisted them to do what was obviously difficult for them to do, to part with their comfortable existence, even though they knew it would all soon be gone. I can imagine each angel taking a hand of Lot, his wife and his two daughters. So why was Lot reluctant to leave? He had chosen this place because it was a fertile region. It had been his home for many years. He had been with these people through good times, prosperity, and bad, being kidnapped by foreign kings. His family had put down roots there. His daughters were about to be married. He was in the leadership in the city. He sat at the gates. He had a home there rather than a tent like Abraham and Sarah. He couldn't imagine life without all that was familiar to them. His heart was still there. Are we reluctant to leave this planet we call home? Is our heart still here, or have we recognized we are citizens of heaven and are merely pilgrims and strangers here? Are our treasures sent on ahead to heaven, where they are safe from moth, rust, and thieves? Are we ready to leave on a moment's notice without a backward, longing glance? We need to think on such things. Once they cleared the city limits, they were on their own. The angels told them, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. In other versions, the phrase swept away is consumed or destroyed. These are all vivid pictures of what is to come. The devastation will be complete. They are told to head for the hills. Though this is not a time for negotiation, Lot is fearful. He appreciates their kindness to him in sparing his life, but he feels he is going from one disaster to another. He thinks if he lives in the mountains after the comfortable life in a fine city, he will die. Why would he think God would spare him from such a fate, only to let him die soon after? So he suggests an alternative, a small town nearby called Zoar that he can run to so his life will be spared. The angel is very accommodating and grants his request. He reveals that this town where Lot wished to flee had been included in the original plan, but would now be spared for Lot's sake. But he is told to flee there quickly, without looking back or staying nearby, because the judgment will only begin once Lot is safely away. This shows us the mercy of God to his people. It seems that Lot's safety and security has always been because of his relationship to his uncle Abraham. In chapter 14, Abraham came to the rescue of Lot and all the inhabitants of Sodom when they were kidnapped. Now he was taken out of the city of destruction solely because of the intercession of Abraham. So Lot reaches Zoar just as the sun rises. But this is not a lovely day full of promise. It becomes a dark day of judgment, as we are told, then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, 
from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. We don't know the form of this disaster, whether a volcanic eruption and earthquake or violent electrical storm. Burning sulfur, also called brimstone, can refer to any flammable substance. So the result was that the entire region, the citizens and the vegetation was completely destroyed and buried. The word overthrow as it is used here gives the sense of a military victory over one's foes. In this case, God was overthrowing his enemies. But Lot's wife ignores the warning given by the angel not to look back. She looks back, not with curiosity, but with longing. Her heart was still in that place. As soon as she does so, we are told she became a pillar of salt. She was so close to salvation, but fell short because she could not, would not part with the comforts that she loved. Verses 27 to 29, Abraham surveys the damage. A day later, Abraham returns to the place where he had spoken to the Lord and interceded for the cities of the plain, especially Sodom. He had been told it would be spared if as few as ten righteous people could be found there, but there were not even ten. Only four escaped, only three survived. Then, as we'll see, even Lot's daughters are not righteous. I would even question Lot's righteousness based on his actions and words, but since he is called righteous Lot in scripture, I'll accept that his righteousness must be in comparison to the people around him. Peter even calls him righteous three times. <clears throat> and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment in the day of judgment. Regardless, this reveals the pervasiveness of the sin in that place that they were the only believers. So Abraham looks down toward the plain where Sodom and Gomorrah had been, to a place that had once been lush and fertile land, and all he sees now is dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. All that's left of the devastation is the heavy smoke where there had once been a fire. A day later, the smoke is still rising. How horrible must the conflagration have been. And then, because Lot's redemption is linked to Abraham, we are told, so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. God spared Lot solely because of his mercy and the intercession of Abraham. Although Lot had his house in Sodom, all the cities of the region were linked by leadership and were all guilty of the same sins, so they were punished together. When we consider the state of our own cities and the likelihood that judgment will fall on them, are we as distressed and tormented in our souls by what is going on where we live? The destruction of these cities was so complete that Isaiah uses them as an example of complete annihilation, which Israel would have also faced if God hadn't been gracious and spared a remnant. 
Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. And the Apostle Paul quotes this verse in Romans 9.29 when he is speaking about God's election of a remnant of believers. So God claims to be the agent of their destruction and warns that Israel will be as desolate as those cities were. As I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah along with their neighboring towns, declares the Lord, so no one will live there, no people will dwell in it. And God promised Israel that after they had been judged, their oppressor, Babylon, would also be judged. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the pride and glory of the Babylonians, will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. So we know this is a historical fact, and Jesus mentions it, first in connection with the privilege of living in a generation where they can hear the gospel, but they reject it. He tells his disciples, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. He also speaks about them in reference to their great privileges of hearing him and seeing his miracles and still refusing to repent. He specifically called out the town of Capernaum because that was his hometown. While they never threatened him and ran him out of town as they did in Nazareth, their sin was indifference. Therefore, their condemnation was even greater than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus said those cities would have repented and have been spared the judgment they received. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So these two examples tell us that the destruction of the cities of the plain was only one part of the judgment on the inhabitants of that place. They will still face personal judgment before God and give an account of themselves. They faced the first death. One day they will face the second death. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Notice that burning sulfur was also the means of their first death in Sodom. And when Jesus is describing his second coming, he gives two examples to show that it will happen unexpectedly when people are just going on with their lives as always. The first was Noah's flood and the second was this event. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur burned down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who was on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. So Jesus believed the scriptures to be true accounts of real historical events, and we should do no less. Verses 30 to 38, Lot and his daughters. 
Lot's wife is dead. He and his two daughters have fled to Zoar, which the Lord had spared because of Lot's fear of death, that he, should he be forced to live in the mountains. But now that he was in Zoar, perhaps he feared for his life even more. Would the inhabitants blame him for the destruction of the other cities, instead of thanking him that they were spared? Or would they resent the fact that he survived while their friends or relatives perished? We don't know. But suddenly, the mountains which the angels had suggested seemed like a better idea. They settle the mount in the mountains and live in a cave, quite a change from his house in Sodom. He may have thought that he was now safe from temptation since he was away from that place, but we need to be aware of self-confidence lest we fall. We must always be on our guard. The moral influence of Sodom and Gomorrah led Lot's daughters to suggest incest as a viable alternative to remaining childless. Their fiancés had perished, and there was no man around in the mountains except their father. So the elder sister suggests that they get their father drunk on wine and sleep with him so that they can preserve their family line. The fact that they need to get him drunk first suggests that he would not have consented to their plan if he had been aware of it. The first daughter who suggested the plan does so. We are again told that Lot was not aware of it, either that night or the next. But such is the negative influence of alcohol on the reason of people. Many do things when drunk that they would never consider when sober. The next night they get him drunk again. But remember, Lot is responsible for this part of it. No one poured the wine down his throat. Alcoholism is a sin, not an illness, because it doesn't just happen to you like cancer. You choose to drink. And I'm speaking from the experience of having many alcoholics in our family. So their wicked plan was a success, if we can call it that. God allows sinful people to follow their sinful inclinations, but they are still accountable for their actions. Both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. We're not told about his response. Did he take any responsibility for his own actions? The example of Lot and his family show us the danger of backsliding into worldliness. In the end, he lost his wealth, his wife, the purity of his children, his mental health, and his own dignity, and nearly his life. So if we were to ask him today if he had made the right choices, he would likely say no. So the fallout, the older daughter had a son and she named him Moab and he is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. Today tells us Moses is writing at a time when the countries of the Moabites and Ammonites were now well established and he is informing his readers where they came from. These two men became the heads of two nations that were long-standing enemies of Israel. In spite of that, and because of their connection to Lot, God told Moses to avoid the regions where they lived because he had given certain areas to his descendants. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. And, today you are to pass by the region of Moab at Ar. When you come to the Ammonites, do not harass them or provoke them to war, 
for I will not give you a possession of any land belonging to the Ammonites. I have given it as a possession to the descendants of Lot. Eventually, though, God promised to punish the Moabites and Ammonites, who owe their origin to Lot and his daughters. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salt pits, a wasteland forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their land. The irony is that their future destruction will link back to the destruction that led to their beginnings. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ are an application to the Gospel do we find in this chapter? Lot was now involved in the leadership of the city of Sodom. This happened gradually. We need to be careful so we don't drift away. The main sin in Sodom was homosexuality, which is where the term sodomy comes from. Throughout scripture, in both testaments, the sin of homosexuality is condemned very clearly. This is a historical event attested to in many places in the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament. Jesus believed it to be a true event. The righteous were rescued and the wicked were punished. Peter also uses the banishment of angels, the global flood of Noah's day, and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as examples of God's determination to judge sin while protecting his own people. Lot offered up his daughters to the men in place of his guests. This is a true account of the events but it is put, not put forward as an example. It is a cautionary tale. All these were written as examples for us, so we learn what to do and what not to do. The people of Sodom rejected Lot's leadership over them. Jesus was rejected by his generation. Lot appealed to his family to flee the wrath to come. Some listened, others didn't. We are asked to relay the good news to others and to pray that God would make them aware of the danger they are in if they remain in the city of destruction. The gospel is good news. We need to pray for our relatives and share the gospel with them. But the response is based on election. Some will scoff at the idea of judgment. The angels were sent to warn them of judgment and bring them to safety. They were hesitating, so the angels took them by the hand and led them out. This is because the Lord was being merciful to them. We are often unaware of the spiritual and sometimes mortal danger we are in, and God protects us from these dangers. Sometimes he uses angels, as in this case. Jesus Christ has offered us safe passage from the fire of God's judgment. We are to flee the wrath to come. He is gracious and merciful in warning us and sending messengers to guide us away from the city of destruction so we are not included in the punishment of the wicked. It is not because we are worthy, for our hearts are still too much in the world. Not only was Lot reluctant to leave when he was told to, he chose to negotiate where he should go. But he was unaware of all the facts, and in fact chose poorly, and soon left that place. When we pray for something, we should leave the conclusion with God who knows all things and try not to dictate to him how he should answer it. Lot's wife looked back longingly to Sodom and was destroyed. She was so close to salvation but fell short because she could not, 
would not part with the comforts she loved. Jesus mentions her as a warning. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. So the context was the destruction of Jerusalem. They were being warned to leave as soon as they heard that the city was being surrounded. They were not to return to their homes to get any possessions. It would happen quickly, and the only way to be safe was to flee the city. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed with burning sulfur. The lake of fire is described as a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The next day, Abraham went to a vantage point and saw the destruction of the cities of the plains. This must have had an impact on him, both to see that God kept his promise to judge and showed mercy to Lot's family. When we see God's judgment or his answers to our prayers, it should strengthen our faith. He saw the smoke rising from the place where the cities had been, like smoke from a furnace. The abyss is described in that way, with smoke rising from a gigantic furnace. So this disaster was brought directly by God. He warned it would happen, said when it would happen, said why it would happen, then did it just as he said. All disasters are brought by a sovereign God for his own purposes. Lot and his family were spared from destruction solely because of his connection to Abraham, God's friend who interceded for him. We are told God remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the catastrophe. But because we have a friend of God like Abraham, a close relative who intercedes for us before we are even aware, we are in mortal danger and can do so because of his relationship with his father. Lot's daughters conspired to get their father drunk in order to commit incest with him. He was unaware of it, but he bears the blame for drinking so much in the first place. Alcohol will lower inhibitions and cause people to do things they would not normally do. Scripture has many examples of poor decisions when too much alcohol is consumed. While drinking is not forbidden, drunkenness is. As a result of this poor decision of Lot's daughters, the people groups of Moabites and Ammonites resulted, and both have been perpetual enemies of Israel. Kerioth is a town in Moab. During Jesus' time, it was a town in Judah, south of Hebron, where Judas Iscariot was from. His name means man of Kerioth. So this enmity between Moab and Israel reached its climax with the death of Christ. Ruth was a Moabite and an ancestor of both David and Jesus. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 20. May God bless the study of his word.